This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 164, about Luke Cage, season 2, episode 8. If it ain't rough, it ain't right. Welcome back, fellow defenders, to episode eight of Luke Cage season two. If it ain't rough, it ain't right. Yes, this is Defenders TV podcast episode one six four, and I am one of your hosts, John. I'm one of your hosts, Chris. And running at the group, I'm Derek. Welcome back, everybody. Yes, welcome back indeed to this another really solid episode of Luke Cage. I must say, um, I really enjoyed this one not to give any spoilers with regards to my rating coming up but uh-huh. um yeah really enjoyed this we will be providing our spoiler filled review of course of all things luke cage episode eight yes and you can get everything that is defenders tv podcast all of our back issues everything that we've done including the mcu and all the netflix in between over at defenders tv podcast.com and don't forget give us a bit of a like and a share and a follow over at all your podcast catchers as well as apple Podcasts. this episode is brought to you in part by stitcher premium and wolverine the long night but we'll tell you a bit more of that later Absolutely. Um, just a reminder, we are on Google Podcasts, which has now released its official podcasts app quite recently. So if you're on all your Apple stuff, you have Apple Podcasts. And if you're on Google, you have Google Podcasts. It's a really easy way to get podcasts. I'm really enjoying it now, I must say. Well done, Google. Well, swiftly moving on, I think. Uh, Derek, what are some of the episode details? Well, this episode was written by Nathan Louis Jackson. He wrote Suckers Need Bodyguards, which was the sixth episode of season one of Luke Cage. So back again for season two, like a lot of the writers in this team. Uh, He also recently wrote an episode of 13 Reasons Why. Season one or season two? Season one. Wow. Yeah. As you can all tell, we are massive fans of 13 Reasons Why. Another binge-worthy season from Netflix, once again, for 13 Reasons Why. I think we watched the entire thing in a weekend. Uh, yes. <laughs> just because we weren't podcasting about it, which is uh, which is so great about Netflix to be able to watch an entire show, binge it in a weekend, and then just move on. Uh, we don't do that on Defenders TV Podcast. We watch all of these episodes individually. So Good to know. I will add it to my ever-growing, ever-expanding backlog of things to watch on Netflix. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> and this episode was directed by Nima Barnett. Uh, she's been working since the early 90s in TV to things like uh, The Cosby Show back in the day and has been working all the way up uh, right through to Luke Cage this season. Uh, done things like Blind Spot recently as well. So uh, really cool to have her on board and definitely got a good director's touch in this episode. Some great moments in here. John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for the episode? Sure. In their own ways, Shades, Mariah, Tilda, Misty and Luke begin to process the events of the previous night in Harlem. With Misty now at the helm due to a bureaucratic oversight, she leads the investigation to uncover the truth behind the murder of Ridenauer and Comanche and the attempt on the lives of Mariah and Tilda. However, her questioning of Shades and the search warrant for Harlem's Paradise both lead to dead ends despite her suspicions. Elsewhere, as Bushmaster learns that Luke saved Mariah Stokes, he becomes incensed and sends his men after them and their loved ones, and at the same time plans to increase his strength with more nightshade. As Mariah and Tilda go on the run from Bushmaster's men, they are shot at outside the police precinct 
and then again at Mother's Touch. At the same time, Bushmaster's men go after Luke's father, but he arrives to protect him just in time. With the net closing in on Mariah, Tilda, and James Lucas, Luke turns to Danny Rand for help. Ooh, so oh, so I know, it was really good. <laughs> Danny, Danny, Danny boy. <laughs> Danny Rand is definitely coming to Luke Cage. Still not here, episode eight, but uh, we knew he wasn't coming until the latter part of the season, but we know he's coming soon, which is pretty awesome. Without further ado, on to our bullet points, or should I say bulletproof points. Mm-hmm. Um, bullet point one. Luke gets the truth from Tilda. Uh, yeah, really interesting this. Um, I think just quickly from the outset as well, you know, the interactions in this episode were superb and there were so many. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, those kind of one-on-one interactions. I I must say I really love that about uh, this episode. But on to Luke and Tilda. Derek. Yes, we saw at the end of the last episode, Luke save Mariah and Tilda from the burning brownstone at the end of the episode. And then Mariah extending her hand to um, purchase his service or hire him for a while, as uh, as probably is more, more likely with the hero for hire. Um, but we see that, that he actually saved Mariah because he wanted to find out why Bushmaster hates her more than he does, which I love. <laughs> That's a nice little line in there. But he goes to work on Tilda and starts getting some pretty good information out of her. Um, I think it's quite cool that obviously he does refer to something we spoke about back at, at their first meeting, that Tilda's holding back information from Luke all the time during that first meeting. Um, she doesn't tell him anything about Bushmaster, despite the fact that she has seen him on the TV beating up uh, Luke Cage and he's been in the store. Luke calls her out in that. He knows that she is, she has actually had dealt dealings with Bushmaster, which is pretty cool. And she's also had this run in with him in the brownstone. So she reveals that he, he has powers that are different to Luke Cage. He does reveal that bullets hit him and they don't seem to hurt him, but they don't bounce off. So there is a difference in their power. And that's part of the reason we'll probably talk about a little bit later on. It's part of the reason why we see Bushmaster is starting to get more and more sick and more and more hurt because he's not recovering in the same way that Luke does because Luke doesn't need to recover from bullet wounds because he doesn't get wounded. He doesn't get hurt by them at all, whereas Bushmaster seems to get hurt by them. So some really nice information in here. Yeah, I really like the idea that Tilda was kind of really inquisitive about Luke's powers and saying, oh, maybe acid would kind of burn away at the skin or something <laughs> that, you know, all these goons that Bushmaster's throwing at Luke with, with these guns that make no, uh, impact whatsoever. Uh, and Tilda's kind of there, you know, she's medical scientist. She's a herbalist, um, really just kind of inquiring as to, Maybe acid would work on this bulletproof skin. Um, so really interesting kind of uh, point of inquisition, I think, from Tilda here. Yeah, it sounded um, like she was actually thinking of a way to hurt him. <laughs> you see it in Luke's face where he's kind of going, hang on a second, that's not what you're supposed to be thinking. You're supposed to be helping me. I'm, I'm helping you. <laughs> yeah, I was. I really enjoyed the interactions, but I still can't. And I, I keep saying this until I'm proven wrong. I still can't shake the feeling that they're foreshadowing Tilda going to the dark side. <laughs> like she's a supervillain trying to understand the weaknesses of a, of a superhero. She yeah. holds back certain things. Just there's a partial foreshadowing, and I'm sure maybe my own internal monologue is the one that's actually causing this foreshadowing. I'm seeing shadows where there is only light, but the uh-huh. way they play the character is just so pure. 
Like, mm-hmm. she's pure when she talks to Mariah, and, like, they have that, even that interaction where, uh, Mariah comes in after being released, uh, slightly, and goes into, and you have Luke, Tilda, and Mariah, and Mariah's making, let's say, uh, uncouth, uh, basically comments about how much, uh, how sexy Luke is. Uh, and things like that, and she wilts like she's a poor little girl, like a child, like almost yeah. like a, I'm a, a little child. I shouldn't be hearing these things. I'm like, oh, you're playing it too far. You're a twenty-something <laughs> woman. Come on, you're a twenty-first century woman. You're better than this. I think it's just to show the contrast between Mariah and uh, and Tilda. I think it's just having these two contrasting characters being side by side at all times really kind of shows off how bad Mariah is at times as well. You know, there, there's some great moments in this episode. I think this is probably my favorite Alfie Woodard episode. I think she has some fantastic twists of phrase where she just becomes, she goes from being the kind of council woman Alfie Woodard uh, character of Mariah to the complete opposite side, that grounded street level evil bitch that she can be sometimes comes out many times throughout this episode. And it's just great seeing the twist and turn, just in their turn of phrase to people when the, when she wants to get back at them. Like that when you're talking about when she just calls, uh, when she says, Luke is, is such a gorgeous man or such a handsome man. That's why he's getting all the information out of you, Tilda. And then she retreats, kind of going, uh-oh, actually, my mom did tell me not to talk to anybody about this. Maybe I shouldn't be talking to Luke either. Oh, I'm in a complete yeah. agreement with you. Like, Mariah in this, and I know we'll probably talk more about it later, but this is the Mariah, the Black Mariah escaping her cocoon episode. So he did it as she no longer minds... As you say, that she's shedding the skin of the councilwoman and more cracks are appearing. And that's where the street Mariah, the black Mariah is appearing. Um, mm-hmm. it was, yeah, I, I, I loved her in this as a whole separate thing. Um, the, the final bit I, I just found interesting is Luke never really comes out and says it. This is detective cage to a mm-hmm. degree. And, we can probably understand now why I'm happy he's not a cop and <laughs> so he's, he's not as forceful as Misty. Misty's, it's a yin and yang approach here where Misty yeah. is very like forward, but I was just at points going, just ask her. Just, just like, come out and ask her. She, she likes <laughs> you. Just ask. I think that's definitely a, another aspect of this. Yeah. Black Mariah, amazing in this episode and equal with her was Misty Knight in terms of her attitude and how she was like absolutely going after these people um really really enjoys um the moment where she goes should have let that bitch burn to um to to Luke you know Misty was really um on fire in this and i think mm-hmm. Black Mariah yeah th- those sweeping ups and downs of who she is and what she is as we'll explore in this podcast it was just really really good i think as well the one thing i definitely agree with with chris on tilda is that she's always seems to be trying to scope people out but without giving too much away about herself whether that's with her estranged mum with black mariah always asking about the history and so on even with luke back at mother's touch uh, a few episodes ago um even with bushmaster when he was coming in asking for his ingredients she she does appear to be kind of really uh, almost a bit 
like a spy to some extent, or at least she's learning. She's trying to figure things out for what ends. I don't know. And I think, um, that's the other great thing really that kind of hit me, uh, with this episode with so many one-on-one, uh, moments between individual characters was you had this element of shifting loyalties, shifting motives, and you don't quite know where to place them, whether that be with Luke Cage, you know, what what are his motives in protecting Black Mariah? Is it ultimately, is he trying to, you know, side with Bushmaster to go after Black Mariah or side with Black Mariah to go after Bushmaster? And he, he's kind of a bit fluid here with what he's trying to do. But certainly, you know, at this moment in this episode, he is about trying to figure out Bushmaster. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he does, I suppose, in a sense, say it as well uh, about how um, until Harlem is safe from Bushmaster, then she's on her own. But I just f- found it really interesting, uh, all, all of these motives in this but- mm-hmm. I have this theory, and I'm expanding upon it upon each episode, okay? Imagine that they kill off Mariah Dillard, excuse me, Mariah Stokes. Thank you, John McIver, just reminding us every episode. Um, <laughs> Stokes. She's the Stokes. Um, imagine they kill off Mariah, and mm-hmm. then Tilda takes the moniker of Black Mariah. Mm-hmm. It would be a beautiful circle after Mariah killed Cottonmouth in the last season and took over the Empire and didn't actually do it. And what we see is Tilda take over. They kill off Mariah in this, the, towards the end of the season. And then the end is Tilda accepting that she is a Stokes, accepting who her piece is, what she's doing and kind of then understanding where Auntie Mabel was from, what she was talking about being like it's all for the good of the community, things like that. And then like that would be a beautiful evolution, like the literal turning of the innocent to mm. the pure dark for what they think is she thinks she'll be able to help more. They're making it so pure. If they make her dark, it will be amazing. Uh but anyway, that's mm-hmm. just a it's a, a long theory I have now but I, I, it'd be interesting to see. Yeah, I still have seen no nothing in the show that tells me that's going to happen other than it would be a great twist yeah. because I'm not expecting it. Exactly. <laughs> that's all. Uh, John, do you want to go on to the next bullet Yeah, points? but speaking of twists, bullet point two, a lawyer's game. Um, yes, here we have Ben Donovan mm-hmm. really playing the game or playing as a checking account, basically. Uh, really, really good uh, seeing all this base that Mariah had uh, crumble for both her and for Shades as well. And I think interestingly, more to the point is that it's taken by Bushmaster, but in doing so, Misty uses it as a way of trying to get at Shades in uh, the interview room. She puts it to Shades that he has been hung out to dry 
by Mariah because she has removed Ben Donovan from supporting him. Whereas we see later, um, away from Shades, that he is also effectively saying goodbye to, to Mariah as well because Bushmaster has control. But it, it provides a really nice bit of tension between Shades and Mariah. And again, I think uh, that moment uh, in the burnt-out brownstone when you have Mariah and Shades, again, the the motives suddenly become really unclear here because on the one hand you've had Mariah as she's left the precinct um, saying to Sugar who's asked are we waiting for Shade she's like no as though he's forgotten yeah um, and you have Shades thinking that she may have betrayed uh, him by withholding Ben Donovan but then in the brownstone the burnt-out shell of this house, um, they have this huge kind of fight. They really do clear the air in a sense, but whether it's fully cleared, whether the motives of Shades um, are really that loyal to to Mariah is not clear. You know, he, he pulls out the gun that Mariah was looking for just before he arrived, or so we thought. He could have been out back. Um, again, what's the reason for that? Is he going to give it to Mariah or is he going to possibly use it um, on her at some point as mm-hmm. well? Because I think really what we see is that uh, it's really shifting and unclear. One minute they're fighting, one minute they're falling out, one minute you then think they're pulling apart and then all of a sudden they come back and it seems like they're working as this team because then we do see Shades following Anansi uh, and, you know, he, he really tries to sort of pull around, shake her up to say, you know, you are this gangster, you boogie, you get, you dust off your jacket uh-huh. and you, you really get right back on the horse and claim what is yours back from Bushmaster. You go after what he uh, prizes the most. You go after his loved ones and really turns the tables to give her this kind of new focus. And I just thought that was amazing. And it all comes uh, from Donovan uh, effectively leaving them high and dry, both of them in the in the precinct yeah yeah i have to say he's probably one of my favorite crossover characters in all of these defender shows because he just shows up right at the most inappropriate or appropriate moment just at those moments when they're about to crack the case and donovan walks in and goes what are you doing my client could have been anywhere somebody else borrowed his car last night you know it's got that kind of stuff and then the minute he's told there's no money involved in this from him it's like right all right uh, i'm off to uh, to deal with my other new lead now with uh, with Bushmaster as we see he is also defending Bushmaster and has another great moment as Misty walks in and, and uh, sees him <laughs> defending Bushmaster in front of the SWAT team and Misty just throws her eyes to heaven going oh not you again <laughs> yeah absolutely I, I love Donovan green green talks it's just the way he put it it's just like you have no money well fair mm-hmm. point it's like you, we wouldn't we yeah. wouldn't expect Foggy to work pro bono well Actually, probably foggy. We would expect. To. We would work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so let's scrap that. Certain lawyers, the typical atypical lawyer stereotype, you don't expect mm-hmm. them to do a lot of pro bono work. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And Ben Donovan's ne- definitely not one of those. As he says, I was never lo- loyal to Mama Mabel. I was loyal to your money, and you don't have any. So yeah, yeah. Um, I loved this Mariah Shades piece. I have to admit, like this, mm-hmm. yeah. this the the 
I'm with John, which is I don't fully trust Shades anymore in terms of mm-hmm. it just seemed so well played, like you're my queen. And it's like he's he's trying to build the Black Mariah and I don't know if he's doing it out of love or if he wants to be king. So his whole piece of wanting to build her up, get everything together and then knock her down. I, I just don't know. This is the first time we see Shades fully stand up to her. And he's like, no, it's all your fault. Because she's blaming yeah. everyone else. But then he brings back up Cottonmouth. And it's like, ever since that moment, you are the gangster. You need to give up this life of wanting to be legit. You are Mama Mabel 2.0. I think that's partly because he's aligned himself with Mariah. So he is so closely aligned with her, has now lost most of his men's respect, as we talked about earlier on in the season. He's now got this big threat and Bushmaster who's going after Mariah and everybody that she's connected with. And if he doesn't put her back on that pedestal again, he's wasted. He's done as well. So everything he had was tied in with her. You see that moment when Mariah calls out, you know, we don't have the money to pay Donovan anymore. And Shades goes, hang on a second. What do you mean we? I told you not to do that. You did it. This is all your fault. Everything you've done is your fault. And then he kind of twists a little bit and shifts again and goes, actually, if we get back on side and you start going back against this and not trying to run away with all your money to up upstate New York, then we're going to take it back together. You know, then we'll be together as long as you keep doing what I say to do. So there's definitely something changing in him, but it feels like he's actually saying, I need you again, Mariah. I need Mariah back on my side so that we can take down Bushmaster because I can't do it alone. That's kind of the way. If you if you walk away, I have no support. Yeah, I would like to see the king and queen. I, I'd like mm-hmm. to see that because at the moment we very much have the queen and her consort is Shades and that type of thing. They're not on equal footing. Mm-hmm. I'd very much like to see what Shades with, with power looks like. Uh, he has power now, and I don't think we are. He is the man setting in motion the pieces. Mariah is telling him to jump. He then goes tell the guys to jump. I would be interested to see that because one thing we never got. I'd love to see the Shades Luke showdown. Like right. if you imagine, it's almost like imagine they build Shades to be the Bushmaster of season three. Interesting. Like, yeah, yeah, maybe. he notices he's not powerful enough, or he gets taken down so much that he's like, okay, I need to be Luke Cage. He goes through experimentation. He goes through things like that. Because that would be amazing, because they grew up in Seagate together. Well, he's the cause of Luke getting his powers. And exactly. Luke, Luke and uh, Comanche beat the crap out of him in Seagate, and that's why Luke went through the uh, went through the operation, I suppose, or went through the the work that he had done in in, uh, in Seagate. So, yeah, they're definitely connected. I'm just not too sure at this stage of the season. We're eight episodes in and only only 13 in total. And I'm, I'm not too sure who's going to survive this season at the end. Uh, there's so much more to talk about with Shades, though, really, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Moving on to, I think, bullet point three, um, because, yes, we have someone in the form of Comanche who certainly hasn't survived this season. Uh, but we see here that continued fallout uh, from the revelation that they were lovers in prison to to where there's the rejection uh, of that relationship in the outside world by Shades to Comanche, but that affection and love still coming from Comanche towards Shades, uh, where we then see the aftermath of that shooting by by, by Shades. Um, 
you know, he visits Comanche's mum, uh, as well as, you know, the opening of this episode is him on the roof of a building burning his gloves and, and some of his clothes to get rid of any of the evidence. Mm-hmm. So I, I like the fact that it continues in here. Even were, um, you know, Misty is interrogating him uh, in the interview room and she really does just get under his skin. You can see, um, you know, that he's taking the questioning really hard, but he's got the pictures of Comanche there shot to bits. She's she talks about the second shot. I really like that they pulled that out. That you know it was taken high uh, above Comanche with Ridenour's gun. Ridenour, no way could he have done that, given that he was killed instantly. Um, and she just says, you know, that finishing shot was from above, and it was by someone who was emotional, not thinking about how that evidence would play out and look after the forensics had got to it. So, you know, Shades was um, effectively acting emotionally here. He felt betrayed, I would think, in terms of Comanche being that snitch. And I find it then a really kind of nice contrast there that he then still visits... Comanche's mum or, or Darius's mum as she certainly doesn't like uh, the the nickname Comanche. No, no, not at all. Uh, this is totally testament to C.R. Rossi's performance. We've talked about it quite a bit uh, throughout the season, but these moments, even just that moment up on the on the rooftop where he's burning his gloves and thinking back on the times of Comanche, thinking back of things that he said to him in the past and kind of piecing together how all of this could have happened is what it feels like. It's all sold in silence from Theo Rossi up on this roof, just looking out over what's happened, trying to piece it all together, trying to realize why his friend turned on him, and then going to visit his mom and saying he's going to take care of her and make sure she's okay because he's respectful of the relationship that they've always had together. They've known each other since they were kids, and before he even spoke English, Comanche was his best friend. They're really touching moments between the two of them. And it does feel like he's about to break down and actually say something to her and tell her the truth and tell her what really happened, it's kind of just to get it off his chest. You know, we haven't really seen him in dealings with a mom figure or a father figure in the past. So seeing him with the mother of his best friend, who he's known since childhood, it does feel like he's about to break down and say, actually, I had to do it because Kamachi is a snitch. And his mom sounds like she would never believe that, says that he would never be a person like that. It's a really interesting moment between the two of them. Um, And then he reveals that there's nobody else in the world that would be grieving as much as him except for her. So that's why they have the connection. But it just, it just feels quite interesting having that, having that discussion there. I love that scene on the roof. It was so Mm -hmm. powerful. I've sung the praises of Theo Rossi throughout the two seasons, just of Mm -hmm. from the actor's portrayal of what he can actually do with shades on. Like mm-hmm. he, he's just so expressive when you can't even see his eyes. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I find it really, really good. I, I didn't fully get the, and this is probably just me being dense. He puts the money down and he's like, Darius would want me to look after you and I will. Mm-hmm. And even if you don't want me to, and I'm a bit like, Oh, that's horrible foreshadowing. But anyway, um, I, I was kind of like, why she she knew Darius was or Comanche was dirty. She knew like he was in he was in a gang and things like that, and they were thick as thieves. Mm-hmm. So why would she mind taking money because Darius was giving her looking after her anyway? That was just the comment. I was a bit like, 
oh, was a line skipped or was something just, eh. It just seems like something was, a, a piece was missing there where she was giving out going, you, you did this. You're the reason my son's dead. You're, right. you're, it's all you and your dirty criminal work that caught that out. And we just don't, we, we don't get that part. There's a, there's a little bit of it in that she says, um, she knows he's not telling the truth about what happened with, uh, with Comanche. When he comes in, he doesn't finish the sentence. Yeah, I, I see what you mean. He does say to her, even if you don't want it, I'm going to take care of you. Right now, she's not particularly saying anything. It might just be commenting on her pride because a lot of people don't expect someone to come in, a friend of a friend, and say, I'm going to take care of you, a friend of a son, and I'm going to take care of you and I'm going to pay for everything. A lot of people don't expect that. And a lot of people wouldn't accept it. They're just kind of from a pride perspective. It might have just been a comment about that. But uh, but yeah, it's possible foreshadowing, but it felt reasonably straightforward for him to say that. And he was being pulled out of the room pretty quickly. Yeah, so. yeah I, I think as well, it's, um, you know, Theorossi does kind of go on to say, I'm going to give the money to you anyway. I know you don't want it, but you know you need it. Mm. And it may be that she was getting money from Comanche, but she may not have done for same reason as Pride. Yeah. But he may have had to force it onto her. And I think it's just that moment of, of hearing that he's dead she probably knew what he got up to you know he's been in prison so she knows that he's a bad guy and even though she may disapprove of what he does he's ultimately still her son and at that moment she's probably thrashing out uh with shades as one of his closest oldest friends saying because you were both in it that's why you know and you're still alive maybe so it, it could have been those things i think it was slightly unspoken maybe but um certainly i think it probably it, it kind of seemed very familiar with regards to the death of the kid in defenders when luke cage goes around you know and he has said in prison just before go to the the biscuit tin on the sideboard uh, and he sees all that money uh, rolled up because he knows his mum never goes there but that mother still knows that he's up to no good yeah uh, so i i think it, it it felt a bit like that to me i think mm-hmm. um yeah, and I, I completely agree. I have one thing I wanted to point out, though. Did you notice that she had the plastic covers on her couches? Yes, I, I, I love did. that touch. I love that. I touch. was like, that—that that reminds <laughs> me of so many grannies. Like my granny, and it was like, God help you if you sit on that couch. Like you're mm-hmm. like, yeah. I do not want your sweaty ass anywhere near it. You, you are sitting <laughs> on plastic. Uh-huh. Oh, and you will sweat if you sit on it because, wow. Yeah, that was so cool. I definitely thought that was cool. Can I also just say what another great bit of coolness was in this episode? Um, Again, one of my favorite scenes was as Misty is interviewing Shades, her flashbacks here uh, where she's running through the murder of, of Ridenauer mm-hmm. uh, and as she explains to shades effectively telling him that she knows that he did it she's walking it through exactly as it played out but as her i loved the touch of the shades on her as well as mm-hmm. she's doing it um what a great great scene uh, and then just as it fades back into the interview room uh, i just thought that was a superb bit of um filming here on on this tv show i really really enjoyed it yeah i think using something that we're so familiar with so far over the last two seasons seeing how misty puts together a a crime scene 
using that in this way where actually she's not at the crime scene. She's just using it to get at Shades and hopefully get him to twist and turn on Mariah and get all the information she needs out of it. I thought it was really, really good. And then just to have uh, Ben Donovan in the room going, put down those glasses. They're very expensive. <laughs> don't want to hurt. Don't, don't want to break those on my client. Do you? Uh, speaking of which, we also get in this episode the origin story of Shades, <laughs> which we've never actually had before. We get his real origin story as to why he's called Shades, uh, because Comanche helped him when he was a kid rob a pair of Top Gun sunglasses. And then he wore those every day for a year until they broke. And that's how he got the name Shades. But uh, just nice to have an origin story, even for Shades. I know. I was so hoping he'd be the flashback. Or that would be incorporated into the flashback episode or something. I was just <laughs> like, oh, I want to see, wanna see that. Um, so I'm hoping we probably will, but I don't think it will. I think we, we yeah. that is our flashback for Shades right now. Exactly, exactly. We won't say baby Shades in his Top Gun sunglasses. <laughs> no, but speaking of um, Misty Knight, mm-hmm. uh, moving on to bullet point number four, we get Police Chief Misty Knight. As Ridenauer has forgotten to turn in her resignation papers and they were actually having a pool bet as to how long it would be until she uh, gets back behind the desk. But this time, because of Ridenauer's death, she is the next most senior detective there. And so um, we see her as the chief of that precinct and orchestrating the investigations both into Bushmaster uh, and as well into Mariah. I love the fact that, you know, in contrast to Ridenauer, she immediately pulls in Luke Cage uh, and she wants to use him to sort of question Tilda, see what she can find out uh, from Tilda about Mariah. And I, I think ultimately as well, um, just her anger with the murder of Ridenauer. You know, she calls him... Um, a sofa cat, a house cat. He shouldn't have been out there on the streets. I love that when she's questioning her um, about the shooting of Rinau, you know, she's talking about the snitch in Comanche. And she's then says, it must have been your, your fawn shades that's done it, you know, effectively to shield her. And she goes, as we all know, I hear cougars like to prey on fawns, right. uh, you know, really <laughs> rallying her up. And then in relation to the burnt out brownstone, you know, she, she starts to question Mariah. Were these just thieves, you know, if if it was, why did they try and burn you? Go to that elaborate length. Why did they just not shoot you or bash your head in with a mic stand referring to Cottonmouth <laughs> so uh, and, so and the murder of Cottonmouth by Mariah in season one. So I really enjoyed Misty here. I love the fact that she had the wind in her sails uh, and was kind of taking on the baddies of Harlem and taking over the leadership in the precinct. Yeah, I really had that feeling of this is what Misty would be like if she was in charge. It really felt like, remember all those times that everybody told you you couldn't do what you wanted to do? Now you can do it all because you're in charge. It was really good fun to see it. And what we find out actually is that Ridner chose not to file her paperwork because he knew she was coming back. He was only giving her three weeks, wasn't he? He was kind of giving her just, you know, a bit of a holiday and she'll realize, you know, we have Bailey is saying about a week and then we have... Nandy, who's saying, I knew you'd be back in about three days. And I think it is about that. It's only about a day or maybe two since uh, since Misty was actually in the office. So uh, so nice little touches there. Um, I really like the reaction. I know we've talked about Mariah quite a bit here, but I really like the reaction from Mariah when she finds out that Ridenera is dead. She didn't know at that, at that point, And that's when Misty realizes she couldn't have killed him. Um, but it's a really great reaction from her because... 
she twists very quickly into protecting Tilda almost immediately after that moment. It's like as if, uh-oh, lost one of my best friends. This is really serious here. And kind of also lost the other bit of leverage that I have to get out of this situation because Ridner has been slightly soft on her in the past. He's been able to talk her around and talk her to do different things. So um, so I wonder if there was just that little bit of a moment where Mariah, being the person that thinks on her feet quite a lot, just suddenly goes, uh-oh, that situation has changed. Pivot to something else really quickly that I need to sort out, which is Tilda and keeping Tilda safe. Yeah, I love this. Um Chio, if you are listening, uh, as I called this one, um, and my theories are slightly correct, I am available for season three if you want a writing consultant. Just <laughs> my, my theories apparently are on point to where you want to take things. I know probably Matt Owens and Nathan Lewis, kind of your two other big writers, were probably involved as well. So, guys, if you listen, you know where to find us. You know, I, I can kind of... We're on the same wavelength. <laughs> I think we're three out of 20 so far, Chris, on predictions. So hey, hey. Not sure yet. If any of the fellow defenders are keeping track of them, as we asked you to at the beginning of the season, I think we're around three out of 20 right now. Yeah, that, that's that, that's still good odds. <laughs> Come on. Okay. I, I'm still winning the belt here. I am the champ. Uh, I'm not a good champ. I'm still a champ. Yeah, look, I love this. I, 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 I loved the fact that we could get Captain Misty. Um, almost. Mm-hmm. And the more I kind of saw this episode i saw it very much becoming the the commission of gordon of the marvel netflix universe if you will mm-hmm. in that she won't have a bat signal she'll have a defender signal she'll she'll nice. be the the go between between the the vigilantes quote unquote and the police force because we get that fantastic scene where she asks Luke for help when she obviously we're speaking around Tilda and he goes, I'll do it my way. And she says, yes. And yeah, I was exactly. like, yeah. that's the cool part because what we can get then is we still get daughters of the dragon. Okay. We will still get that, but it would just be daughters of the dragon when she moonlights as the side gig, as the detective, we won't get detective missing. We get captain Misty Knight, but she still has a date up. She's still looking after Harlem in this case, potentially with all eyes on her. And what we do see is, I think it's Nandi who calls out, and I think Bailey as well, which is, why aren't we getting all the police chiefs here? Like, why isn't this being overrun? And it's because they're afraid of the blowback of another scarf. Obviously, Mm -hmm. from the fact that Ridenhauer is now dead with a snitch and he may have been dirty. Obviously, he's not. We know that. But the, the, the optics. And I can see, we already know that Misty is there, save Private Ryan. Uh, it's called out at the beginning. So if this all goes well, which potentially probably won't, being the show that it is for her, but <laughs> like she could be like, okay, you get a special unit. Your captain missing that, and the, the Harlem PD have a special unit. Kind of that. I think that I, I think I like the idea because that's probably how you would deal with it in the real world. If you start getting all these super powered individuals, mm. like you build a task force. To work with them to a degree. I, I did really also like that as you as you called out that that uh, that scene where she's being shades uh, in the interview yeah. scene. Like that's her superpower, and just seeing her do that, I did love the the choice of the director made, which was putting it directly shades at a table in the scene. 
mm-hmm, not yeah. kind of spitting it or anything like that. I just it was, it was a nice touch. It's so cool, isn't it? And that, they're the kind of making of moments I want to know about when you're doing a show like this, when you're making all 13 episodes before they get released. These kind of scenes that they do where they're revisiting a scene that was done by a completely different director in a previous episode, a new director is coming in and directing this episode. Does the old director direct that bit at the same time in the same day? So the location's all right? Or does this director just come back in and, and do it Photographs. themselves? There's continuity people, of course, of course. But do you set back up the whole scene again when this other director comes on board? You know, it's Well, kind of I'd say they would time it so that then the next day, because it was at night, mm-hmm. that it would be the new director, possibly, yeah. or something like that. They would try and get the timing right. Because the one thing I was always looking, just seeing that transition from when they were outside to when they're back in the interview room. And again, it was nicely done where you have Shades, as you say, Chris, at the table in that set or in that location. Um, you can see the wind going through Misty's hair. Um, and then it just goes in close and yeah. then pulls back and it it goes in close and there's that kind of black background and then the interview room forms around her. I thought that was I thought that was really, really nicely done. Um I think the other great thing I loved about Misty in this is when she's going into Harlem's Paradise with the search warrant, and I love her irreverence uh, to Bushmaster. Just the use of his accents, the use of his dialogue really again just absolutely picking at him yeah trying to rile him up and you, i mean to the point where once she's gone you see him sort of fall back in in the seat whether that's to do with the nightshade withdrawals or the fact um that misty in combination with that has just been trying to um niggle. rile him up and niggle yeah exactly <laughs> but i love the fact as well that again bushmaster comes back at her um where he talks about babylon's finest as the the, the cops show up and the detectives, but he, he does say, you know, I don't need a gun, a badge or a plastic arm. Um, and that's one thing I would agree with Bushmaster on. He's certainly gotten uh, Misty's arm down uh, to a T. Hopefully the next prototype's on the way in, Danny Rand. Uh, I hope, really hope so. Um, but, you know, he says you can search Harlem's Paradise all you, you want, but you will know, uh, as you know now, that I have the power and you have no power. So I thought that was really, really interesting. Mm, yeah. But possibly speaking of Bushmaster... <laughs> Should we move on to bullet point five? Because Bushmaster is on the warpath. He absolutely is. Yeah, this is huge. I've watched this episode three times waiting for our recording for this podcast. And every single time that Bushmaster is told that Luke Cage is alive and he saved Mariah and Tilda, that moment when he rips the chair apart in Harlem's Paradise... (laughs) gets me jumping every single time it's just this huge crack of, much better than luke breaking the table when frustrated earlier on the season the conference table this one just gets me to jump almost every time it's it's a, a quite a phenomenal scene um but yes he is totally completely freaked out about this idea that now luke is with mariah and tilda uh, i put some a, a million dollars on each of their heads yes it does yeah so audacious that the taxi cabs make a play outside the precinct Mm -hmm. and shooting it up shooting at mariah again mariah saved by luke cage but i think is it nandy or uh, missy one of them says uh 
if they if they're openly shooting at the precinct then who knows what's going to happen you know we're certainly not safe i really like this kind of you know running from danger that this sort of on the run feel that mariah uh, and tilda have and and even with with luke cage it feels like they're all on the run yeah. away from bushmaster um and i think what makes it even more like uh, so good is certainly for Mariah just because she has nothing left. Uh, you really feel as though she has been, you know, thrown to the sharks, really. Here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I really, really enjoyed that. And also, interestingly, he does put a price on not only their heads, but the head of all of their loved ones. So, kind of interesting because obviously that's the reason why all of Luke's friends and family have been kind of cutting down as the season has gone on. We lost everybody so the only person in danger is his father uh, at this stage so luckily everybody got out of town right nearly everyone i still think claire's gonna pop up in again in like another episode or two i'm hoping it'd be nice but i think she left the country i think is what they said and this is still within the same week or so of uh, the beginning of the series so i'm not sure whether she's gonna be back that's a long week it must feel like uh-huh. a, at least a season and a bit for luke <laughs> it must feel like an eternity yeah <laughs> i loved what we do get this which is the scene in the church Mm -hmm. where we do see luke sitting there listening to the sermon strange that they chose to do so much on the baptism part but i'm just like okay obviously they were just setting it up i think his father calls out the reason for that he says um this guy may be a grown guy but remember jesus wasn't christened until he was 30 you can always return to the church so i think that's him once again using his sermons to speak directly to Luke Cage going you may have turned away from the church and you may be a grown man but you can come back you can always come back um, they've done this really well throughout the season I'm generally not one for using actual sermons in shows to to illustrate your point um, but they've done it really well they've layered it over very well the sermon that was being told while Bushmaster uh, was on the other side getting angry and setting things up uh, with Anansi and Luke sitting there listening in to his father's sermon. It actually worked really well this time. You could really see where they were going for. Yeah. The biggest part of this scene that I really enjoyed was actually just seeing James kind of throw that punch and being so aggressive to the guy who came <laughs> yeah, after him. Me too. And then just seeing Luke's smile. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was the connection point. I was like, oh, oh, now they care about it. Like, that was the turn. You can actually see it in the yeah. actor's face that I was just like yeah. that's really really nice yeah it's so good I think James as well I think he says you can't be shooting my baby mm-hmm. like really really cool little scene that I completely agree and isn't it amazing when we talked about them having that moment that was kind of cut off a bit short in the last episode um, when the two of them had that kind of heart to heart and we were expecting they needed another big heart to heart they didn't really they just needed a scene like this to show you that they're now united and they're now much closer than they ever have been it's really good when when a good director and a good writer get together to just put together a simple scene that tells you everything you need to know and when the actors are as good as these guys all good yeah definitely 100 percent. i'm just like actually geo if you're listening i'm sorry i'm not good enough to be in your writer room you guys completely outdid yourself with that it was just like within <laughs> what 30 seconds it was all resolved and i would have done what a three minute monologue yeah i know <laughs> i think the other um you know just speaking of heart to hearts as well i really enjoyed um and Ansi's kind of heart to heart with Bushmaster here as well. You know, he fears for the darkness that's consuming him, the nightshade that's destroying him. Uh, again, does a really another nice reference to this kind of more earthy magic 
that really does take a toll. You know, it's very different from the kind of magic associated, obviously, with Doctor Strange and, and Iron Fist, mm-hmm. but also, uh, you know, to some extent, at least in in terms of the technological idea of it, uh, of um, Wakanda, uh, as well as even with, with Thor. So I really like this earthiness to it. I love that, you know, this has real sort of degrading consequences that Anansi is seeing in Bushmaster, um, you know, the price that he's having to pay to effectively make himself at home in Harlem's paradise uh, and, and really crush, uh, Mariah. You know, he, he makes that reference to Bushmaster's mom. And that's the reason why he's doing all this is that she'll like what you've got, but not how you got it. Mm-hmm. You know, that he, it, this really kind of wise uncle of his saying that. And again, you know, be careful what you do unto others, because obviously we later see shades putting on his shades, probably about to sort of uh, track and follow Anansi as he he leaves from Harlem to go back to Gwen's restaurant. So I really enjoyed that that moment um, with Anansi and and Bushmaster. Yeah, absolutely. Once again, if you haven't learned anything from her. 20-odd Doctor Strange podcast at this stage. What's the phrase, John? Magic has a price. And that's what uh, Anansi is calling out here about uh, about the use of this magic with Bushmaster. Really weirdly, I don't know whether you can see my notes, John. Specifically on my notes, I call out the fact that this herb is quite similar to Black Panther because <laughs> they do have the heart-shaped herb uh, in Black Panther, which bestows the eater of it with some special powers and to become the Black Panther and the strength So in this episode, when they're talking about the herb nightshade coming from the Blue Mountain, which is a mountain in Jamaica near Kingston, uh, which is where Bushmaster's from, um, I actually was just thinking of it going, oh, this is a plant that can only grow in one place and imbue special powers, just like heart-shaped herb from Wakanda. So I know what you mean. It's not the technology of Wakanda. Yeah, I meant it more the technology, you know, that they're not creating spaceships or that kind of stuff from the vibranium. Uh, and it's the vibranium that imbues this heart-shaped flower. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the interesting thing is that rather than it coming from space, and that is why this flower is imbued with the power of vibranium, which gives Black Panther his power in turn. Uh, you know, Anansi makes it, you only get that soil on the Blue Mountain in, um, in Jamaica. Yeah. That's what makes the nightshade from the special you like he's trying to grow it as uh ganja um and he says this isn't science so it but it's more the technological aspect mm-hmm. of, of how wakanda uses that um and and how say thor would view um his magic uh it is science that's just not understood on earth yeah. yet yeah exactly exactly and um, some other really interesting stuff here from uh from bushmaster as well you kind of mentioned earlier on, John, about about Nandi saying that um, they attacked the police precinct. They're going to attack it again. Um, they also go one worse for a lot of people. They attack inside a church while a sermon's going on in the church. That's supposed to be sacrosanct. It is supposed to be that thing that is left out of any kind of gang warfare. It's very rare you'll see that a church is being attacked like this. So it does feel like while even though Luke is there with his father and protecting him, it is kind of like, well, just, Luke is just paying attention to his father's sermon. And once the sermon's over, then he will go into hiding with his father. Um, but they attack the sermon, which is as bad as, you know, attacking outside the police precinct. These guys are willing to stop at nothing to get their prey, um, which is another testament to the people that are surrounding Bushmaster as well. 
Yeah, I'm wondering, based on what we see at the end, is what he's going to do. Is he going to end up supersizing something that's going to give him loads of extra strength, but give him a finite um, period of time? Is he going to mm-hmm. overdose on the steroids? And also, I was, I'm really curious on the background of a Nancy. Is he the medicine man or is he, did he previously use nightshade? I'd love that, like, if he gets shot and we just see the bullet not stop, like, or well, the bullet, mm-hmm. like, go into him, but similar to, to Bushmaster. He's speaking to experience. So he, he was right. an addict of nightshade. It's completely warped his mind and he had to fight back like an addict to, to kind of, right. no, I think that would be a really nice story, which is like, yeah, this stuff is great, but it's a drug and I'm mm-hmm. here. I'm your sponsor almost. I think that would be a, a right. nice piece. I'd love to see more about that relationship. I'm not sure we will because it's a bit late in the season, but I, I do think mm-hmm. that would be, it would be interesting to see why he knows so much about it. Is he, and John, don't, don't squeak. Is he <laughs> the precursor to Brother Voodoo? Yes, there isn't a Nancy in the Marvel, Marvel universe, but it's Spider-Man, Spider-God thing related. Nothing to do with this. So I'm curious <laughs> if they, they basically co-opted a Brother Voodoo-like villain or supporting character and kind of made him this mystic herb based kind of guy i i just think i want to know more about that yeah, yeah definitely i mean certainly a nancy uh isn't really known with regards to uh brother voodoo but certainly there's similar things going on here and it could easily be one of brother voodoo's um other, you know, nemesis that is just co-opted into this with this name. Uh, certainly, I mean, I love the fact as well that with this nightshade, that you're starting to see that Tilda has told Mariah about it. Mm-hmm. Does Mariah see a weakness here that she can exploit, or a strength in using the nightshade for herself, even, and um, to to go after uh, or protect herself from from Bushmaster? I really like that, and I think. Hopefully they really keep this going because uh, I never expected it from this season. I really enjoyed seeing this kind of earthy magic at play here in this. You know, the superstition, the ancestry, the history, the the stories passed down from generation to generation, the recipes, and just how that's woven into this earthy magic in Harlem and in Luke Cage. It's been really, really good. I think uh, as well, just... With Mother's Touch being attacked, I definitely think that, um, you know, Tilda has just probably whipped all her nightshade off uh, from out of her store uh, as it's being attacked by Bushmaster's men uh, to try and get this nightshade. Yeah, can you imagine, for following on, theory time with Chris, can you imagine... I need a new theme song. Right? I think that could be like, we'll just insert theme song in here now. It was like, theory time. Da, 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 theory time. Can you imagine if we do see Black Mariah take the nightshade and go toe to toe with Luke Cage? <laughs> I think it's more likely to be what you said earlier on, Chris, that she gives it to Shades and Shades becomes the villain. You, that's exactly what you predicted earlier on. So I think that's most likely if she does take 
the nightshade potion uh, from Tilda that she may pass it on to her enforcer rather than actually taking herself. Although I do really like the idea of her creating herself to be bulletproof, not going toe to toe with anybody, not fighting with anybody, just making sure she can't be shot. <laughs> that's that's a pretty good thing for any senator at all, but especially someone like Mariah. Yeah, but it would just be it would be so reminiscent of the comics because there's one scene in the comics just anytime I think of that which is where it's Black Mariah jumping through the ceiling uh, attacking Luke Cage it's kind of the, mm-hmm. the the shot they use for a lot of the Wikipedias when you kind of look for Black Mariah and I'm mm-hmm. like oh my god can you imagine Alfie Woodard like just smashing through a wall <laughs> it would just be like especially when she goes that kind of she's completely lost her senator kind of the councilwoman kind of facade just kind of mm-hmm. coming in, kind of like, ah, bring it on, Luke. Anyway. Well, speaking of uh, Mariah, just one final point that kind of fits in here as well. We do find a little bit more out about her past with Tilda. So we find out that um, she was taken away from her at, at birth. So she hadn't actually spent any time with Tilda at all. So we didn't really know that uh, throughout the season. We hear that Mama Mabel had actually passed Tilda on to the Johnsons, the cousins of uh, of Mariah, right? Um, so... There hadn't been any real connection between Tilda and all, at all and Mariah, which is quite interesting. That's very different yeah. to what we thought would happen. And you're just wondering, why is that? Is it because, obviously, um, with Mariah being in a crime family, that she's got other things to do? But also, in season one, we do have that flashback to Mama Mabel um, and, and to uh, Mariah as well. Uh, maybe there's something in that that is part of the reason why Tilda is given to the Johnsons, you know, that it's an underage relationship, yeah. you know, out yeah. of marriage relationship that ultimately um, has been adopted out in the family, uh, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, you do get this idea that the Johnsons, Mama Johnson has always said to to Tilda, this is your your mama, though, uh, you know, with the picture of Mariah there. So this was a nice little bit of context to Tilda. And with also finding out the surname to Tilda, Tilda Johnson, that um, there are some possibilities here, as Tilda Johnson is um, the alter ego name for Nightshade, which is a Luke Cage character as well, not connected to Mariah, mm-hmm. uh, Black Mariah, but ultimately, um, you know, this could play out within the the rest of the season as well. Yeah, yeah, possibly, possibly. Uh, Till Johnson was also a character that became a hero as well. So there's there are two sides to the character. She was a villain. Uh, called Nightshade, which is why we're hearing a lot about Nightshade from uh, from Tilda uh, throughout this season. But it may be that she will go the hero's path without actually going anywhere near the villain's path. So I'm still on the on the fence about whether she'll be a hero or a villain. Yeah. At the moment, I think she's absolutely just going to be the innocent character and will carry on the rest of the season. Now, they've just taken that Dr. Nightshade character uh, and created this as the Tilda Johnson of this show. Yeah, and she's worked with, uh, in, in her good incarnation, she's worked with Misty Knight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's some nice connections here potentially that could form with Tilda for good or for evil or for innocence that may happen. So uh, really interesting stuff uh, coming up. But again, we were talking about smashing through walls. Another person that can smash through a wall with a really big, bright, glowing fist. And um, even though we didn't see him, we get his name uh, dropped by Luke Cage after Mother's touch has been attacked, should they go back to the precinct? No, that's been attacked. What do we do? If no one else can help, who do you call? <laughs> but multi 
billion dollar friend, philanthropist, pharmaceutical company owner, Danny Rand, mm-hmm. to see what he can do. So, yes, I, I have to say I did squeal a little with his name being mentioned. I wanted him to at least be mentioned, which is great. We've had that already. The anticipation of Luke Cage and Danny Rand forming up together uh, to make beautiful heroes for hire um is just there it's just out of reach i can sense episode nine um really can coming up so i can't wait to finish this episode and get on to episode nine Mm -hmm. well i think that's it for our top five bullet points guys yeah it is from my side me too so the big notes i suppose for this episode one for me um misty and nandy having chat in written hours office a nice little reference here considering the other show they're speaking about is only just on the air. Uh, Nandy says to Misty that uh, she says Callahan is Maui and O'Reilly has moved to New Orleans. Uh, this is a reference to Bridget O'Reilly, who's a police officer who in the current series of Cloak and Dagger, which is only on episode five, uh, she is the main police officer seen in that show. So um, so kind of cool that they're referencing this show. And apparently, because we're not up to date on, on Cloak and Dagger, but I did check it out with their friends over at the Cloak and Dagger podcast. Go listen to them. They're doing a great coverage of Cloak and Dagger. Did check it out. Apparently, they have actually referenced back to it. So we've had Bridget O'Reilly also confirm that she's from Harlem PD, so that she has, in fact, worked in the past at Misty. So, um, so that's quite cool that they're tying those shows in together in a little way as well. It wasn't to be expected. No, I'd love to see in the future... I know I'm going because they're two different networks and everything like that, but some form of crossover, similar mm-hmm. to what we got with Sony and Marvel uh, with Spider-Man. Just like, hey, let's play ball. We're all one big happy family. It's just you can <laughs> you can get Luke Cage for one episode and we can get Cloak and Dagger for an episode type of thing. That would be cool. And they're, they're all made by ABC at the end of the day. They're all made by the same TV company. I think they've always just said about any crossover with the Defenders and the other TV shows is that they're definitely aimed at a different audience. It was the same reason why we didn't have the Defenders character in the Lego Marvel games, for example. Their versions of the characters were not in those games because it would advertise to kids, you should be watching this show, which they absolutely should not be watching. For us, it would be great if we saw Cloak and Dagger over on Luke Cage make us watch those shows. But if you do it the other way around, possibly you're encouraging people to watch shows they shouldn't be watching at all because they're a bit more violent. That is true. That is true. (laughs) And it's just another subscription service to sign up. (laughs) But it's really good. Renting out TV. Yeah, absolutely. Really enjoying it, though. As I say, go over and check out the Cloak & Dagger podcast, a member of the collective. So uh, another good podcast about good TV shows. Um, One other little little catch, because I remember people asking about this before, and we've forgotten to mention it, um, because everybody thinks this is a really big in-joke or a Marvel reference. The coffee cups that are in the police station, you will really recognize these. These are the Anthora coffee cups. They are basically just coffee cups that are used on pretty much every New York set TV show. Everybody seems to think because they watch all the Defenders and they're looking for Easter eggs everywhere that they're connected to specifically Marvel Defenders, but they've been around since things like Seinfeld and Friends and that kind of stuff. Any show based in New York has to show them at some time during their shows. So uh, that's where they're from. Yeah, tasty coffee that doesn't actually exist in in real life. It does. No, it does. It does. It does. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Well, I've just got one note, um, which Shades mentions the rivals. Uh, We ain't got none. This is a reference to his gang from season one of Mm. Luke Cage, which had Comanche in Romeo, which we get the flashback in in this episode being killed by Shades. And of course, Shades himself involved together. And in the comics, the rivals were a gang that Carl Lucas, obviously Luke Cage and Willis Stryker ran. Yes, not 
a gang, the gang that's right, that the they gang. ran. Yes, that's the one that, that caused all of the problems between Carl Lucas and Willis Stryker, leading to Luke Cage. So uh, very cool. Also, can I reference your little comment from earlier on about Tilda? Tilda Johnson has also run the, the Rivals as well. So they're quite a big uh, gang. And I just can't remember whether we even mentioned it in season one. Um, I had to just look it up because it's the way Shade says it. It looks like a quote from a song. And I couldn't find any quote from a song. And then I was going, the Rivals. I remember them. Oh, yeah. That's the game. Uh, so I had to mention it. Excellent stuff. <laughs> so loads of connections here. And speaking of connections, where we have not seen one is our friendly neighborhood, Mr. Stan Lee. Mm-hmm. We are episode eight and we've still yet to get um, our cameo. Yes, that's right. Just wanted to point that out in case anyone thought they missed it. No, we still have not seen it. I'm keeping an eagle-eyed view out. So hopefully in the coming episodes, we'll get it. Officer Lee will be somewhere because I've been mm-hmm. literally reading every post-it note on the back of in every time we see a cop if they're in the police station I'm just like is that no oh no is that no, no? Oh. <laughs> so it's quite it's just quite strange that we didn't I haven't seen much yet well the good news is that back in Jessica Jones season two it was episode 13 on the back of a bus as four bush man wasn't it um back in back in Jessica Jones so uh, so hopefully we'll get an appearance from Stan Lee towards the end of the season. Yes, I'm absolutely sure we will. But with that, chaps, on to our Defend of Luke Cage Episode 8. If it ain't rough, it ain't right. Chris, do you defend Episode 8? I do defend Episode 8. It is slightly rough, but it is 100% right. <laughs> Being very honest, they're giving us a lot of the quick the beats that we want, the explanations we want, but it's taking longer than I would want. And I was thinking about this and I've been thinking, mulling it over. Would the show benefit from a shorter season? Nope. <laughs> ah, there you go. There you are. My question is answered. Congratulations. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Derek. No problem. I, I, I feel potentially they could have squeezed some of the, this episode and some of the probably earlier storylines just slightly more together. I like what we're getting. I like where the show is going. I have a lot of questions. I'm getting answers on on an episode-by-episode basis. So it still has my attention, but it does feel slightly a slower burn than some of the the, the previous episodes. Wait till Danny Rand comes in. Yes, him and his glowing pinky will... uh, Light everything that's, up. That's me. I have the glowing pink. Ah, he has the glowing fist. <laughs> ah, right. There we are. Um, so just in, in summary, yes, look, I am enjoying it. I still do defend this episode, this season. It is just being, it's slightly slow for me at the moment. I kind of wanted to pick up the pace a bit. Um, cause I want to see the Luke Cage. Bushmaster confrontation. I want to see that again. I want to see the the, the culmination of all these storylines. So yes, I do defend, but uh, they much like the Thora coffee cups. Uh, I want them to take a bit of bit of coffee and kind of get energized and caffeine fueled and run to the the finish line. <laughs> John, do you defend this episode of Luke Cage season two, episode eight? If it ain't rough, it ain't right. I do defend this episode. I give it 4.5 Black Mariah boogies out of five. <laughs> um, yes. I, this was, I think, one of my favorite episodes of, uh, 
the the season. Mm-hmm. I absolutely loved all the interactions on a one to one um with all these characters, you know, kind of confined within the precinct, then confined within uh Mother's Touch, confined within Harlem's Paradise, um and and confined within themselves for some people like Shades. I really, really enjoyed it. And I thought it was all about these character interactions, these one on one conversations and just I absolutely love the the shifting intrigue, motives, and loyalties that all this uh, one-on-one uh, interaction with these characters kind of gave me. I, I really was thought about the show uh, in such a, a, a large way in this episode because of these one-to-one uh, character stories that were going on and how they wove into the overall story arc. You know, I love the fact that even Luke Cage He's been using Bushmaster up till now to kind of try and take down Mariah, make her feel uncomfortable. Um, you know, he's not necessarily seen him as the one to go after, yet in this one, he uses Mariah to take down Bushmaster. You know, he's um, protecting her so that he draws uh, him in and that uh, Misty and him as well, then working together, uh, can take down Bushmaster and then they try and take down um Mariah. I love the fact that with Mariah and Shades, you know, what is Shades endgame? And indeed, what's Mariah's, you know, because the, the, this blows hot and cold a bit between these two, yet they're still there seemingly working together, but I'm just not too sure. The loyalty, where is it? Um, and again, maybe this is something to do with Comanche that plays into Shades, uh, now here. Um, and especially given his position, but he, he certainly still seems to be on her side. And even with Tilda uh, and Mariah, they kind of blow hot and cold a bit. These two that, you know, they want to be together and then they don't. They want to be together and then they don't. You know, Tilda has a problem with, with what Mariah Stokes does, but then wants to learn more. I find, you know, what's, what's, what's the purpose here for, for Tilda? Um, and indeed for Mariah now keeping her on almost past her sell by date in that it was she hadn't really contacted her at all and it was to open up you know family first and, mm-hmm. and that program so all these loyalties motives are, seem to be shifting to me um constantly and i really really enjoyed that and i think to me at the center of this what was not only black mariah but misty knight with um just such Great sarcasm in this episode. It really involved a superb episode for for Misty Knight along with Mariah Dillard. Mm -hmm. Absolutely loved it. I also just want to say as well, I do think maybe last week's episode I judged a little harshly. Um, In retrospect, I may have... Uh, a four out of five, but it, you know, you, I think I just, the niggles that got me possibly just weighed a bit more on my review at the time, but certainly it was a good episode. Mm-hmm. But moving on from my failings as a podcast <laughs> reviewer, Derek, do you defend this episode of Luke Cage? I thought you were going to ask if I was going to fail as a podcast reviewer there. Never. <laughs> I think I mentioned at the end of episode seven review that it felt like the end of a mid-season finale. And this episode really felt like the start of the next season. I 
question whether they were actually going to break this show into two, whether they were going to break it into seven episodes and then six episodes and be released at later times of the year, just to kind of spread it out a bit. I do feel that these shows get a really short shrift from people. They uh, sometimes watch two episodes and then don't come back to it for months. Um, so I still of that old school of people that don't really binge watch a huge amount of shows. I'd still have that feeling sometimes that maybe they should break these up and just spread them out over a longer period of time. So people don't get burnt out trying to watch a 13 hour movie. But when it's of this quality, it's excellent. I love when you have these characters sitting down with each other and having moments together. I come from obviously a history of talking about 22 episode TV shows per season. So you're talking five seasons with over a hundred episodes of just one show about one character. So I can absolutely stand 13 episodes of these characters being side by side. Uh, this episode, particularly standout performances, as you said, John, from, uh, from Misty. And as you said, Chris from Theo Rossi, uh, as, I said from Alfred Woodard as Mariah Dillard, they all just had great performances in this episode. So much stuff for them to deal with and definitely a high point of the season for me. Really, really enjoying it. Excellent. Fantastic. And gentlemen, I think it's time we move on to our feedback. But before we do, I just wanted to remind our listeners that this episode is brought to you in part by Stitcher Premium and Wolverine the Long Night. For those of you who don't know what this is, where have you been? Living under a rock or in Canada? Much like our Canadian hairy friend, The Wolverine. And The, the Wolverine Long Night is actually really good. It's a scripted podcast from Marvel themselves. And mm-hmm. it's just a really good narrated story with some great sound effects. It stars none other than Richard Armitage as the titular hero himself. There's 10 episodes for you to go listen to right now exclusively on Stitcher Premium. Go over to stitcher.com forward slash premium and use the promo code DEFENDERS. And you know what? You get one month free straight away. And in that one month, you can binge 10 fantastic episodes of it straight away. And you know what? The more you listen to it, the more they'll produce. Who knows? Will we get X-Force? Will we get Alpha Flight? Will we get Deadpool? Come on. Who doesn't want to hear Ryan Reynolds narrate a Deadpool podcast? Probably never going to happen, but it would be amazing. (laughs) Yeah, it'd be cool. And just a short FYI, the code can be used up until September 2018. So get your rockets on. But anyway, gentlemen, let's move over to our feedback. Yes, remember, fellow Defenders, you can send in feedback through our voicemail over on DefendersTVPodcast.com. You can also send us email through feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. And, of course, please uh, join the community uh, on Defenders TV Podcast on Facebook. You can join our group over at Facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Defenders TV Podcast, where we have tons of spoiler posts, comments, discussions, uh, all about Luke Cage on Marvel Netflix. But our first bit of feedback comes over the airwaves through voicemail from Ryan, one on episode five and one on episode six. The first one here is for episode five. Hey, what's up, guys? It's Ryan here, my episode five review. Loved this super fan all over this. Loved it. Loved uh, Piranha being the biggest super fan ever. Loved the fact that Luke Cage tells him at the end, you want to hire this hero? The price just tripled or doubled or whatever he said but wicked i don't know how many times they could have said uh hero for hire uh, in this episode so talk about shove it down your throat but yeah wicked um 
I like the fact that Luke was uh, telling Foggy that he met Method Man last season and Foggy telling Luke that, you know, he's a hip-hop head and he knows a bit about hip-hop. So it's always good to see Foggy and, you know, uh, his opinion on stuff that doesn't really... You wouldn't really put Foggy in that kind of bracket, would you? But we shouldn't judge. But loving that, loving the um, uh, Missy Knight Knight having to deal with the fact that is she going to do what she's done taking those taking the evidence is she going to do something that doesn't really seem like something that she do i'm not uh a comic book fan as in i didn't read them as a kid like religiously like you guys but i've learned a lot from you guys and i gather the fact that she wouldn't ever think about framing someone by putting evidence in a crime scene so that's very very strange but yeah let's see i'm gonna get off i'm gonna get onto episode seven so uh or six sorry so yeah see you guys soon and just so you know, one of you asked, what does Wagwan mean? I think Mariah said it a couple of episodes ago. Wagwan means what's happening. It's just like saying, how you doing, mate, when you walk into a room. So, all right, guys, take care. Thank you, Ryan. That's some great feedback. Wagwan. What's happening? Nice. Nice. Excellent, Ryan. Yeah, Thank great. you so much for that. Absol- Thank you, Ryan. Yeah. And yeah, we absolutely loved Piranha the Superfan. May you rest in peace um, or in a piranha tank. Yes. <laughs> or little pieces <laughs> within piranhas. Little pieces. That's it. That's it. Uh, yeah, Foggy, the hip hop fan, absolutely great moments. As I said, just those looks from Luke Cage at him when he's saying it, as if I don't care. Just don't tell me about. <laughs> really good stuff. Yeah, really uh, as well with Misty Knight, that kind of dilemma that she's in in that moment, and also about her past actions as well with Scarf, having seen him potentially plant. Uh, evidence or in fact knowing that he did that but also went along with it for maybe some kind of greater good or because her suspicions or intuitions like we have seen in this episode and that she knows the people that he's doing it to Mm -hmm. are actually guilty Um, and maybe she sees it as a shortcut to getting the justice that she intuitively knows through kind of her own superpower so yeah really interesting stuff yeah, well, Ryan obviously did go straight on to episode six because we've also got uh, some voicemail feedback from on episode six as well. What's up, guys? Ryan here with my episode six quick review. Um, there was a lot of decent conversations in this, which we took a lot from. We had Bushmaster, his uncle, and his uncle saying how, you know, he's uh, dragging the Jamaican name through the mud with all the crimes that he's committing. Everyone will start to assume that all Jamaicans are the same. You've got uh, Mariah and... Um, the police chief talking about, you know, they used to obviously date when they were in school and uh, Misty watching that and thinking, what's going on here? Um, you've got uh, Luke and Piranha talking about, you know, daddy issues, so to speak. So there's a lot of stuff that got kind of um, aired out here. And then obviously we finish it off with the fight on the bridge, which was uh, really good. But I've got to admit, I did think the line of the uh, I'm paralyzed was a bit funny, but it's all good. But the main thing is that we're watching. Um, Mitzi, I agree with you guys, sorry. Um, She definitely held back on what she was going to do when she was thinking about planting that evidence. She definitely decided not to pursue uh, framing Cockroach. And then she did lie to her chief by saying, you know, I was planning to do it because you clearly see her put the bullet back in the uh, bag and back in her pocket and then see the trail of blood. So, yeah, that's a bit awkward, but We'll see what happens with Misty and, uh, and the rest of the uh, force. But yeah, take care, guys. See you soon. Thank you so much, Ryan. I completely disagree with you. I love your feedback, except for that one part where you go against me. I'm not saying you're wrong, but I'm saying you're wrong. 
He was only using his eyes, Chris. Oh, yeah, yes. yeah. He actually watched the show, Chris. Ah, that's it. <laughs> Rather than skim watched it. Oh, yeah. Because, well, look, it's 13 episodes. We're watching it at a very slow pace. I have to skim watch it. I'm sorry. You fast forward it to make it faster. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> More impactful. Yeah, thank you so much, Ryan, for the feedback again. Yeah, I really enjoyed that moment between Anansi and Bushmaster and that real kind of social take about, um, you know, the the community, the names of uh, Jamaicans in New York being uh, pulled through the mud because of Bushmaster's actions. You know, it's a really interesting take, I think. Um, again, the one-to-one with Piranha and Luke Cage on the whole daddy issues really really good i i I love piranha uh, from these last two episodes uh, and i I still do Uh, it really is a shame that uh, he became fish food Mm -hmm. in that sense but um still i think he he played a really good part in, in you know getting luke cage to to see what ultimately i suppose uh, Claire Temple couldn't in that moment, uh, but it, it may have required Claire Temple's that jolt of her leaving for him to be more receptive to to those. So yeah. uh, again, really uh, nice feedback. So thank you. Absolutely, keep sending them in. If you want to send in any of your thoughts about any of the episodes so far this season or any of the future episodes, you can go over and send a voicemail to us through our website at defenderstvpodcast.com or leave some feedback over on our our Facebook group, as John mentioned. Uh, like Mike, who's also talking about episodes. He said, to this point, season two has been a bit of a slow burn for me, but this episode really turned things up. I started this episode only with the plan to watch this episode and only this one, and it's taking every little bit of self-control I have not to stay up and watch episode seven. I think we said this is probably the biggest cliffhanger that was in an episode as Luke got kicked off that bridge into uh, into the river. That's not the Hudson. (laughs) It most certainly isn't the Hudson. (laughs) Neither is it the Nile or the Amazon. Exactly, exactly. So uh, I'm sure you held back, Mike, um, but thanks so much for sending your feedback on episode six. Yeah, hopefully, though, at this stage, Mike, you have rocketed onto episode seven and um, so yeah and thanks. at this stage episode eight because we just done our episode eight spoiler filled podcast if you're listening this that is true. <laughs> so uh thank you so much for the feedback bob phillips again on facebook talks about episode seven and says what an episode from the very fourth wall breaking it's my show to the proper <laughs> heroic burning building this both wrapped and seeded storylines I love the way Missy is stepping into her own and a little sad Comanche has ended. Lots of hope still that the Rev is going to come up a goodie, which means he almost certainly is not going to. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a little sad that Comanche has uh, gone the way of the bullet to, well, two bullets through the chest, mm-hmm. definitely. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, what's old Revy, uh, Revy Lucas going to do? Good, bad, or simply a clergyman? Yeah, possibly, possibly. We're we're still not sure. Everybody's up in the air at the moment. We don't know where anybody is. Uh, He does seem to be pretty good at the moment, though. Yep. Bob also finished with, also, Rastlat. Lots of me doesn't want to know what that means yet, as I'm certain the explaining will be a little twinkle of comic in an upcoming episode, surrounded by doom, I'm guessing. Finally, no Samwise Gamgee required for Paraman to rescue himself from the river. Good old Luke. Yes, I think he used the force, uh, somewhat like uh, Princess Leia. He floated uh, on to safety. Possibly, possibly. Uh, Rastlat, um, 
this will have no bearing on the show at all. So I suggest you do what I did and search it on the Urban Dictionary and it will tell you what it is. Otherwise, I'd be using my swear jar quite a lot. Yes, uh, but it certainly it. is a derogatory term. It is, yes, yes, definitely, definitely. And wrapping up our feedback, we have an email from Chemise. Hello, Chemise here from Savannah, Georgia. Luke's birthplace, yay me. Congratulations, Chemise. <laughs> Very cool. I've been listening to your podcast for quite a few seasons, but I've never left a message for some reason. Anywho, just writing in to let you know that I really enjoy your podcast. It's one of the podcasts that keep me going while at work. I'm a marathoner when it comes to these shows, so it tickles me to hear all your theories you all come up with. Thank you. I'm glad I provide enjoyment. Ha, Derek, there you go. See? Chris must be your favorite to me. Yeah, I'm just going to put it out there. Look, the amount of theories I come up with, I'm at least the champ right now because the guys Uh don't even get in part of the game. (laughs) I do loads of theories too, just none of them come right. (laughs) Okay, that's true. So Derek doesn't join the game and I just whoop John's ass. There you go. Sometimes. Good, moving swiftly on. Jamie's continued. I feel as if this episode does a good job of both building up the antagonists and creating a pathway for them to evolve. Mariah has hit rock bottom, so now we wait to see if she will rise to the occasion or if she will wallow. Bushmaster has become extremely overconfident. Perhaps he feels he has earned it, but as you all noted, he keeps making mistakes. Keeping Piranha as a hostage would have made more sense legally. I do suppose he expected Mariah to die in the fire, leaving no one to contest his newly gained riches. Too bad for him he didn't fish off Luke properly. I'd say he has now become the man on the hill. He really should look out for people who are aiming for his crown. And poor Shades. It's odd for me because Shades is very sinister. I don't like him very much as a person, but he is a villain. So good job, writers. Still, out of all the antagonists in the show, first season included, he is the biggest bastard by far. Very serpent-like, despite not getting a snake's name. I get the impression that he's always plotting while waiting for opportunities to strike. I'd say the extra gunshot was about all one could expect from Shades in the moment. I dare to say that it was all that he could do to keep it together, and that shot was him losing his cool. But I'll stop now before I enter spoiler town. Finally, Shamise went on to say, Absolutely adored seeing Misty fight with her new arm. She's one of my favourite Marvel characters, and I've always felt the comics never did her justice. I'm dying for Daughters of the Dragon TV show. Marvel's done a bit better green lighting projects featuring underrepresented groups in recent years. Maybe if readings stay decent in Netflix shows, they would take a chance with Missy and Colleen, with some Claire Temple as White Tiger on the side. Mm. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, very good. Yeah, loving it. I think you're absolutely right. I think there's entirely a possibility we'll see a Misty and Colleen show uh, spinning off in the future. We've seen some great moments with them in this show, and we jump at the chance to watch it and talk about it on a podcast. Uh, Love it. Yes, more content for us to podcast about is always a good thing, and it will actually be a good show. Absolutely. And Shamiz, if you ever feel like writing in again and sending us any further thoughts on any of the future episodes, please do so, because some of your thoughts are fantastic. I absolutely love your point about Shades. Maybe it's only that one extra gunshot that he's able to get off. That does explain something we were talking about in that episode, guys, um, saying that Shades possibly couldn't get over it because he was too emotional. That's pretty much what we see in this episode. So um, that's that's pretty cool. Nice call out there. And also the fact that Bushmaster kills Piranha and then is going to kill Mariah and just expects that because of his confidence that Mariah will die and he won't have anybody to contest the club. Makes loads of sense, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, good spot, Shamiz, and thank you uh, for the feedback. I also really like your comment that, you know, 
Bushmaster is getting overconfident. He now needs to start looking down the hill at those people coming up at him mm-hmm. uh, in the same way that he did uh, against Mariah Dillard. Or should I say Stokes? Yeah, thank <laughs> you uh, so much for your feedback. Also, thank you to everyone else who has left feedback, either through voicemail, on our Facebook group, or through the website. Uh, it is really good to get your thoughts. Uh, and please keep on sending in your thoughts, comments, or discussion points mm-hmm. for the remaining episodes of Luke Cage Season 2. And not only that, but remember to uh, share the love by sharing the podcast. You can uh, subscribe, rate us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, or any other good podcast catcher. Just search for Defenders TV Podcasts and subscribe on your favorite app. Yes, and we don't ask for this much, but if you do enjoy our show, guys, please go over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review and a couple of stars because you know what? It just gets the word out there to tell more people about our little little, little show here in our little group where we're all fellow defenders. Mm-hmm. And on that note, gentlemen, we'll be back with our review of Luke Cage Season 2, Episode 9, for Pete's sake, next Tuesday. As, and in the immortal words of Luke Cage... Sweet Christmas. I know it's only July, but sweet Christmas. Yeah, sweet summer. Um, hot and sticky. <laughs> yes, thanks so much for joining us, fellow defenders. We'll talk to you again next time. Yeah, as always, thank you so much for listening. It has been an absolute pleasure. I'm off to see Babylon's finest. Um, and after that, we will speak with you again next time. Bye. <laughs> I'm holding back.